What is going on? This is awesome. Hey. <laughs> this is really sweet. So I just want to take a moment to thank Tom for giving me the chance to speak tonight. Um, he's an amazing leader. Great. Awesome guy. I love him. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks for trusting me and the rest of your staff. Um, if by some chance there's someone here that doesn't know me, my name is Tyler. I've been working for, hey, I've been working for uh, Chi Alpha for three years now. Two years as a give year. One year as full-time staff. I'm married to the most amazing wife in the world back there, Morgan. She's waving her hand. She's carrying the most amazing baby in the world, which is awesome. So, um, yeah, I've been working for Chi Alpha for three years now, like I said. And uh, I want to encourage all of you before we start to consider giving a year of your life to Chi Alpha or missions in some way. Um, do it. It may not feel like it right now, but honestly, one year of your life isn't like in respect like of your whole lifetime is not that much but it could have this eternal impact and it might be a change from what you planned for your life but it may change your life forever um i also feel like choosing to give a year or do missions of any kind like it should be about what you not what you get out of it but what you give out of it and being um like a give a year and a staff member here has allowed me to see people's eternities impacted for the good of the kingdom. And um, it's really allowed me to be a part of raising other people up to do the same thing. So that's my plug for Give Ear and Kyle for missions. Like, just do it. Nike. Okay. So speaking of that, tonight I want to kind of talk to you guys about how I got to this point and really just kind of how the, the story of, like, how God brought me to this point um, and I don't know if anyone's experienced this, but you will experience in your lives these moments where you can look back and say, like, that's what got me there. That's what got me there. That's what got me to the next place. And that's how God brought me here. Um, and in his word, God says that uh, this man is my chosen instrument, talking about Paul at the time. But that's something that he continues to say over and over again about us. So the first half of this story about how I got here. I call the hoodie. So my dad is an officer in the Air Force, and eight years ago, when I was a senior in high school, he was told that we were being moved to Knob Noster, Missouri, where he would be a squadron commander at Whiteman Air Force Base. And this kind of left me with a dilemma that, like, I honestly had never experienced before because growing up in a military family as a kid, you don't really have a choice. Like, you go where your parents go. You don't get to choose, you just go. So, deciding where to go to college, like as a senior, I had a choice to make. Where do I go? I didn't know. But little did I know God was all was and already had begun working and making a way for my life. So I applied to three schools. I applied to Boston College, I applied to George Mason in DC, like Northern Virginia where we were living at the time. And I applied to a school that in, I had never heard about in a state that I really didn't care enough to think about, Mizzou. Sorry if I offended anyone. It's true, though. 
I didn't think about it. And to make the decision a little easier, I got waitlisted by Boston College, which sucked because that's where I wanted to go. But unknown to me at the time, God was still moving and still having his way in my life. So that left two options on the table, George Mason or Mizzou. And I didn't like either of them. Like, <laughs> just to be honest, like, I think both of them just were terrible. Not terrible. Okay, so the reason I didn't want to go to a George Mason is because my uncle went there, and I didn't want to copy him. I didn't want to say, oh, yeah, I go here because my uncle went here. And what the heck was Mizzou? So that that was kind of my reasoning. But I had a decision to make. Like, I had to choose one of these two. And uh, that's when my parents pulled out the Mizzou hoodie. Oh, yes. Look at that. That is me as a senior in high school wearing the Mizzou hoodie in our side room. I don't know where that is in the house. Because um, my parents were sly. Like, they were clever because they knew that I liked, like, hoodies and, like, dope crap like that. And, like, I really wanted the hoodie, like, badly. Didn't want to go to the school as much, but I really wanted this hoodie. Right? So then, like, they wouldn't just give me the hoodie because, like, what kind of parents would they be if they just gave me things? So they said to me, you can only have the hoodie if you decide to go to Mizzou. And I'm just, that's so petty. <laughs> like, I'm like, what, what kind of decision is that? But you know what? Freaking worked. Like, I wanted that hoodie, so I decided to go to Mizzou. And uh, that's, how, that's how I still got it right here. That's how God used this hoodie to get me to Mizzou. So God can use these really tiny things, that well, things that we think are tiny, to get us to where he wants us so that he can do with us what he wants to do. And this is, like, really crucial because Jesus is looking to usher us into powerful, pivotal moments that he's been preparing for us for a long time before we realize it so that we can be changed forever. So tonight what I'm going to be talking about is getting ready to walk on the water. And we're going to be looking at one of those powerful, pivotal moments in Scripture. So if you guys want to take out your Bibles or your Bible apps and turn with me to Matthew chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 22. Oh, you're good. <laughs> Here we go. Immediately... Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, uh, while he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves <clears throat> because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him, Walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. <clears throat> Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And I, if you don't watch Hulu, you probably haven't seen this commercial, so I apologize if it's not funny. But I feel like Peyton Manning and those nationwide insurance commercials, like big life moment right there. You got to watch Hulu to get that commercial. So I'm sorry, but it was funny to me. So their disciples are out in a boat, okay? They're crossing the Sea of Galilee, which is about seven to eight miles wide. 
Okay? And here it says this is happening shortly before dawn. In other translations, it specifically says it was the fourth watch, which is historically based off of Roman divisions of the time of the day. This one is around 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., which means that the disciples have been fighting this thing for a while, like a long time, all night, and they were probably tired. They were ready to get to land. And um, to be honest, normally this trip would have taken them about two hours. It's not that long of a time. And they would have never gone if they thought a storm was coming. But regardless, in obedience to Jesus, they went. All this to say they were probably freaking out. Just a little bit. So when they saw what they thought was a ghost, or in the Greek, phantasma, which means spirit, that freaking out was brought to a whole new level. Like they already are fighting this storm, and then boom, there's a ghost. Like they were probably already up there. So we, what I wanted to do is just look at their response here. So if you look at Peter's response, it's kind of interesting. Even though he was probably just as terrified as the others, there was something in this voice that he heard from the spirit that was they saw that was familiar. It's like if as you've heard it before. You have to understand that the disciples spent every single moment with Jesus. Like they knew this guy. They devoted them, themselves to his teaching and devoted them, themselves to the call of his voice. And so like when a shepherd would herd their sheep, the sheep listen to just the shepherd. Like they know his voice really well and they're not listening to anybody else who's calling their, 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 who's calling them. Like they just know the shepherd's voice. And Peter, hearing this voice, was asking a bold and crazy question, like to walk on water. No one had ever done that before, literally this moment. And they weren't even sure it was Jesus yet. Turns out, it's a bit easier than we think. This entire year, you all have been poured into by your life group leaders, by your mentors and the people around you. And if we've done what we were supposed to have done, you all have been discipled and taught how to look more like Jesus and how to recognize his voice. So how do you get ready to walk on the water? To get ready to walk on the water, we have to first remember what God has done. And I'm sure Peter's standing there that night, like on the edge of the boat, right before he asked Jesus to call him onto the water, just remembering everything that Jesus had done since he's been with them. Peter had been with Jesus for two years up to that point. And um, being one of the first two disciples that Jesus called into ministry, he was there for basically everything. I mean, he didn't, he barely missed anything. He was there for every miracle, every teaching, every moment of correction, every display of power. Like he had seen Jesus move before. Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law, performed countless other healings, Peter was there when Jesus taught with authority on the Sermon of the Mount. Like, there was plenty for Peter to remember as he's standing there on the edge of the boat. One time, actually, in particular, was especially similar to the situation that they were currently in. Earlier in Matthew, something at like the same thing happens. It says, then he got into the boat. This is Matthew chapter 8. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. 
but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Like, this same thing is happening. Like, these guys just really can't catch a break on these boats. Just, I would just walk at that point. It's longer, but <laughs> forget the boats, man. Seriously. Anyway, here, Jesus had gathered the disciples to set across the Sea of Galilee after ministering to what Scripture says large crowds and climbs right to a comfy spot on the boat to take a nap. Then the word says, suddenly a furious storm came upon them, and these men who were in majority like expert salesmen, like sailors, not salesmen. I said that last service. I didn't catch it until just now. Like <laughs> Sailors, excuse me. Expert sailors and fishermen, okay? They, so they knew what they were doing. They knew their inevitable doom. And finally they decided, hey, maybe we should wake Jesus up. And then after Jesus asked them a question, which we will get to in a second, in a mighty display of power that the disciples probably had only ever heard about from the Old Testament, Jesus calms the storm by his word. And then what do they say? They say, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? And to be honest with you guys, like I don't think we give God enough credit. Like We are really, really terrible at remembering what he has done in our lives. And I bet you that each one of us in this room can think back like just on this past week from this Tuesday to last Tuesday of things that God did that we didn't give him praise for. How do we do that so easily? It's like if Morgan had been doing things for me all this past week and the week before that as I was preparing this message and I get to the end of the week and I've reaped all the benefits of what she's done for me, and I say nothing. I'd be a terrible husband. And there's probably things that I haven't said thank you for, so I appreciate you. Thank you. I love you. I remember um, a group of us went to help at a week-long training for, like, incoming giveyears and staff and directors of Chi Alphas called Reach the University Institute, RUI. And um, we were having lunch beforehand, and I overheard the director of Chi Alpha, like the national director, telling a story. And he said he had been traveling, um, and he broke or forgot his iPad charger or something. It's something really stupid, like something's meaningless like that. And somehow he received a charger from somebody. And I'll, I'll never, like, forget how he said that because he said, the Lord sent me a charger. I was like, it's a charger, dude. Like, could have gone to Walmart, bought one. But he said, the Lord sent me a charger. And honestly, I was blown away by how he said that. And I was encouraged all at the same time. I had never heard a sentence spoken like that before. And right then, Jesus reminded me that all good things come from him. Like, all good things. Anything that's good. It's come from, it comes from Jesus. It was an incredible encouragement. 
and it built my faith because from that moment, I began to think not only of the times I had prayed for healing over my friends and seen it happen or prayed for provision and seen it come to fruition, but I began to think of each time anything good happened to me because something had clicked in my mind and my heart and I finally figured out that it was Jesus. Remembering what God has done behind us gives us the faith to step into what he's put in front of us. God has done good things over and over and over again in our lives. How much are we remembering? And how much are we giving him praise for it? It's remembering what God has done that enables us to jump into action when we hear his voice. And it's a voice that we should be familiar with. Like, I, I take this, like, so seriously because we have to be familiar with his voice. If you aren't spending time with God daily, then you will struggle to recognize the voice of the one saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. That being said, to get ready to walk on the water, we have to secondly take courage. And we have to not be afraid. And in light of the disciples like absolutely losing their crap because they think there's a ghost, Jesus says to them, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And I'm sure you know this, but the most often repeated command in scripture is do not fear. It's a command. It's not a suggestion from God. And fear isn't something that he says like, Tyler, I will, I will remove the fear from you so you can continue. But it's something he commands us not to be. And it's not by accident. Like it's a very specific thing that God's addressing because he knew what our greatest weakness would be. He knew the greatest turning point of failure um, and the greatest, uh, the greatest point of failure, the greatest point of turning from opportunity, the very thing that would keep you from living the lifestyle of courage that he designed for you was fear. And like I said earlier, there's something in this voice that told them to take courage that Peter recognized. And from what we know from Scripture, it's only in hearing this familiar voice say that command that Peter speaks up and asks, Lord, if it is you... So how do we take courage? If walking on the water means stepping into what God has for us and what he's called us to do, how do we live the lifestyle of courage he designed for us? I think we do this in two ways. And the first is to acknowledge our fear. I'm afraid of a lot of things. Some of them have already been mentioned here today. I'm afraid of the ocean or really any like medium to large sized body of water that could also include like small sized bodies of water if like I don't know what how deep the pond is or something like that. Um, I'm afraid of most animals that I don't know enough about their body language to like get what they're thinking. I don't, I don't like that. That includes like bunnies and guinea pigs and crap like that. Like I don't like it. I'm afraid of fish that are alive like, they can even be in a tank. Thank you. They can even be in a tank in front of me. Like, I can't touch it. I'm afraid of it. Someone said yesterday, like, or last, last service, 
not yesterday. Someone said last service, like, you told me you wanted to go fishing. I'm like, yes, because then I'm bringing them onto my turf. <laughs> and I'm going to eat them. That's totally different. So I'm afraid if fish started alive. Um, I went to Bass Pro Shops in Springfield. And it's like the main one, and they got these big tanks of fish, right? And uh, I'm standing in front of this huge tank, kind of close, maybe like to this chair here, right? And it had an alligator gar in it, okay? And before you like give me too much credit and say, well, it's an alligator gar, you should be afraid. Like it could have been any kind of fish. It was, it was just there, so I was afraid. And <laughs> so I'm standing there looking at this monstrosity and I am freaking out on the inside and I have no idea why. Like I am, my, my heart's coming out of my chest. I'm breathing heavy without realizing it. Like I'm sweating, I'm getting hot. And I'm like, is it this stupid fish? <laughs> and so like I, I take a few steps back from the tank and my heart rate slows. My breathing calms down and I'm coming back to normal. Apparently I'm scared of fish. Fear acknowledged. A guinea pig once tried to take a nibble at my finger. Fear acknowledged. <laughs> the ocean. Fear acknowledged. I don't need a reason for that one. <laughs> so I read to you earlier that the disciples were afraid of drowning because a storm had suddenly come upon them. And then they woke Jesus telling them what was happening. And they were so sure that they were doomed to drown because they were expert sailors and fishermen. Like, they knew what was happening. They've, they've pioneered boats before, and they were pretty sure they were going to die. And then in our main text of the night, says that the disciples, who were at this time were without Jesus on the boat, saw what they thought was a ghost on the water and were terrified because they were so sure. Even though they had seen Jesus cast out demons and perform miracles. And they were terrified even though they had been taught by Jesus and discipled by Jesus. And they were terrified even though they themselves had cast out demons and performed miracles in Jesus' name. They were terrified. Sometimes we are more sure about the danger around us than the spirit inside of us. And I get it, like... I understand we are human. And I would be lying to you if I said that when Morgan and I found out we were having a baby, I didn't freak out a little bit. And I'm afraid of a lot of things, and there's already been a lot of stuff about that situation that stressed me out. But I'd also be lying to you if I said that in seeking God's face, God hasn't shown up, hasn't reassured us, hasn't spoken those words, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And I know that there's a lot of things that you guys are afraid of, and that's okay, we're acknowledging the fear. And there's this like stormy, chaotic area of our human nature where we feel God can't or won't work because of some great oppression that is coming against us, and that's our human nature, but as Christians, we're called to die to ourselves and become alive again in Jesus. And we have to acknowledge what we may fear in our oppression, but we are not to be afraid. It's a command. 
Bill Johnson, who's the lead pastor at Bethel, says this. There's this verse in Isaiah that says, You will be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. You will be far from oppression. Why? Because you won't fear. And it's not being far from oppression that helps you not to fear. It's not fearing that helps you not to be oppressed. Fear should be something that flees from us because we become so locked into the love of God for us and we become so convinced of his goodness. So secondly, after we acknowledge our fear, we have to acknowledge our God. Notice how in comparison of the two instances of the disciples being on the boat, one in Matthew 8, one in Matthew 14, the disciples are scared of different things. So the first time, they're afraid of stormy waters and the possibility that they may drown. And then Jesus asks, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? And calms the waves and the wind. Then the second time, the scripture doesn't say anything about the water, the winds, the waves, the anything like that. But they thought it was a ghost. And we see Peter acknowledging God and asking, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. And how does Jesus respond? By saying, come. What Peter is asking here is, Jesus, tell me to do, if it's you, call me to do what you are doing. Tell me to do what you do. To acknowledge God is to recognize who he is and acknowledge what he can do, has done, and is doing. But to also acknowledge God is to ask the same question that Peter is asking. And it's an interesting question because Peter doesn't ask Jesus to command him to do anything that Jesus hasn't already done. Everything God has done in his perfect love, he then enables us to do. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And from the same video I saw of Bill Johnson, he said this, There's this crazy thing in the kingdom where we get to mirror back to God. It's not copy, it's responding to, because we fully received and when I have fully received something from God, I have the capacity to mirror back to the same measure and capacity that he's loved me. And perfect love casts out what? Fear. How's it done? Psalm 34, chapter, or Psalm 34 verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. I looked for Jesus. I went after Jesus and he answered me and he delivered me from all of my fears. Again, in order to take courage, we have to acknowledge our fear and acknowledge our God. Lastly, in order to get ready to walk on water, you have to just send it. And for those of you who don't necessarily know what that means, uh, it means just do it. Just go ahead and do it. Um, so I, it's time I tell you that what I interpret as the second half of the hoodie story. And this half is called Where's Cuba? I was watching a lot of How I Met Your Mother at the time. I was writing this message. So like all like the story names, like, I don't know. I love that show. Um, 
Yeah. My second year in Chi Alpha, we went to what's called the World Mission Summit. Um, three, number three. So every four years, instead of winter conference, which is this amazing conference Chi Alpha goes to in the winter, hence the name, winter conference. Um, every four years, all the Chi Alphas across the nation go to this one conference called the World Mission Summit, which is centered around, you guessed it, world missions. And as a sophomore biomedical engineering student heavily involved in Chi Alpha, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life at all. At this point, however, God was giving me stepping stones to walk on as I approached the edge of my life's boat. I had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I had an actual encounter with the Father and because of that, a relationship with Jesus. But why did he bring me to Mizzou? Why am I at this conference? What am I doing with my life? For those of you who don't know, um, my sister Abigail, who is somewhere here, probably out there, um, we're one quarter Cuban. So our, our grandfather, is he came from Cuba when he was like 12. Um, so as soon as we got to this World Mission Summit, God immediately, like, boom, head and heart, like, Cuba, look for it. And um, naturally, I began to look for, like, a type of booth, um, like a presentation or a missionary, like a piece of paper, like, about Cuba at this World Mission Summit. And you know what I found? Like, nothing. Absolutely nothing. The Latin American exhibit didn't have anything to do with Cuba. There was no booth with missionaries you could meet and talk to about the work God was doing in Cuba. There was even a map of the world in the 24-hour prayer room where it was just outlines of all the countries, and when you prayed for a country, you colored in the country. And Cuba wasn't even on this map. Smaller countries, like Sri Lanka, were on the map, but Cuba wasn't. And so, naturally, like, I prayed for Cuba, and I drew it on the map, and I colored it in. It didn't look anything like Cuba. But it was in the right spot, so it counts. One thing that I felt, um, this kind of doesn't have anything to do with the message tonight, but one thing that I felt God wanted me to say to you all is when God drops something on your heart, find out why. Like, don't let it sit there and sink to the bottom of your heart. But as soon, the moment God drops something on your heart, find out why. Because he has something for you in that, that he, he never intended just to remain this heavy thing in your heart just to sink to the bottom. Find out why. So the whole weekend I looked and I looked and I looked and for some reason there's nothing on Cuba, even though the Holy Spirit had nudged me until the last day that we were there. Our Chi Alpha group was in our seats, and it's like a 5,000-person conference at that, that year. And I'm turned around talking to our people, and my mentor at the time, Mike Towers, awesome, awesome guy, he gets my attention and points me to the, to the screen, like the main stage, this huge stage, big screen, and I turn around, and there's this video playing about Cuba. And immediately, like, everything else around me 
goes black like this microphone stamped. That was for imagery. Thank you. Um, but everything else around me goes black, and I, like, I'm focused on this video, on, this, on what's happening on the stage, and I feel the eyes of everyone in our Chi Alpha just staring at me because I've been very vocal about the fact that there's nothing on Cuba this whole weekend. So I feel all of them, them looking at me, and this video finishes, and then a Cuban missionary gets up on the stage, and he brings with him a Cuban national, like a guy who was born and raised in Cuba, like still lives in Cuba, and they just start talking about what God is doing in Cuba. And, like, my heart is exploding, and, like, the the waterfall is about to happen, and, like, they have us extend our hands to pray for him, and then I'm done, like... I just completely bawl my eyes out. It was very powerful. And they have us pray over the people in the country. And I felt God, in that very moment, I felt God wanted me in Chi Alpha and that Cuba was going to be a part of that somehow. This was the first time I ever felt God call me into ministry. So that evening, as I was standing on my boat and Jesus was saying, come, stepped out what does Peter do to finish this story it says then Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water and came toward Jesus but when he saw the wind he was afraid and beginning to sink cried out Lord save me immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him you of little faith he said why did you doubt and when they climbed into the boat the wind died down then those were who were in the boat worshiped him saying truly You are the Son of God. Jesus told Peter to send it, so he sent it. What happens? For the first few steps, like I'm sure Peter is just like on the water and just like looking at Jesus in amazement, like, oh my gosh, like I'm really doing it. Like, Jesus, are you seeing this right now? Like, this is actually happening. Like, I'm sure he's pretty shocked and just amazed. And then the winds and the waves once again catch his attention. The oppression attempts to distract him, and for a second, Peter begins to remember his fear instead of his God and starts to sink a little bit. And he cries out to Jesus for help, and Jesus, being the author and the perfecter of our faith, immediately, without hesitation, reaches out his hand to help Peter, while at the same time asking him a question to disciple him and grow his faith. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Unlike most times, I'm sure you've heard a message on this story. I don't necessarily want to focus on the moment like Peter walking to Jesus, sinking and then being pulled up. But I want to focus on what comes next. Right after Jesus asked the question, why did you doubt? It says, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. So as I'm praying about this and like literally reading these verses over and over and over and over again, God is speaking and revealing something to me. Peter had to walk on the water to get to Jesus. Which means there were enough steps between the boat and and Jesus for Peter to like take a few, sink, flail around for a bit, I'm sure, and have Jesus help him up. Then in order to climb back into the boat, 
Jesus and Peter had to have walked back to the boat together on the water. And it says the wind didn't die down until they climbed back into the boat. Which means that you all actually, when you do what God wants you to do and what you've been discipled to do, when you actually be obedient, maybe you sink a bit because of fear and doubt start to creep in. But not only can you do it again and keep on doing it, but you can be encouraged because not only did Jesus stop you from sinking, he's walking with you back to the boat through the wind and the waves. It doesn't say that when Jesus pulled Peter up, the wind and the waves died down, then they got back in the boat. Like the winds and the waves and the things that the, the, the disciples were fighting all night were still happening, yet Peter and Jesus were walking back to the boat, and it didn't stop until they got back in. It says in John chapter 21, this is after Jesus is resurrected and is speaking from the shore, and the disciples don't recognize him yet. And then it says, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. What happens when we remember what God has already done, when we take courage and then we just send it? We have the faith to do it again without hesitation. And as the story of Peter, the story of Peter walking on water ends by saying, then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. It causes others to see who God is and worship him. Your act of obedience, your step of faith, causes others to worship God, to see the power and the love of God and worship him. And to be honest, most, if not all of you in this room, are ready. You're ready to walk on water, and you just don't realize it. Maybe you haven't taken the time to remember what God has done. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're neither of those things. And honestly, you just need to stop being disobedient and actually do what God has called you to do. This entire year, you've had God speaking to you, building you up, and calling things out of you. Your life group leader has been discipling you to look more like Jesus by challenging you, asking you questions, loving on you, and pouring into you. Tom and others who have spoken have been hearing from the Lord for you and building you up, encouraging you to be a disciple. My last message to you is to just jump in. It's time to start discipling others yourself. I am pretty intentional in our life group to look at my guys in the face and say, you can make disciples. You can do that. It's time to take ownership in this ministry that God has used to pour into you and give back and serve. It's time to jump in, and there's nothing to be afraid of. Remember who you serve. Take courage and go. Bow your heads, please. <laughs>